Hey, song surfers, welcome to Song Surfing. It's your friend John. Song Surfing is a bi weekly playlist of independent music pulled from the far reaches of the internet. Song Surfing is a part of the Live from the Lincoln Lodge podcast network. Visit thelincolnlodge.com to explore the other shows on the network and to learn more about the venue that's home to the nation's longest running independent comedy showcase. Friends, I'm so excited that on this edition of Song Surfing with Friends, I'll be joined by Australian gender-optimized disruptor Jade Starr. Here's a bit from her bio. Jade Starr's music is characterized by dark yet empowering eclectic frequencies infused with strong melodic vocal acrobatics and story-driven dialogue to question and inspire. Experimental shades of metal seamlessly bleed into comedic, uncharted, soul-connecting music delivered by Jade Starr and her many unique musical projects. Besides Jade's musical projects, she also hosts a YouTube live stream called How to App on iOS, which features gear and app demos, interviews, mental health and well-being, and special events. Jade Starr, welcome to Song Surfing. Hey, John. Thank you so much. It's been a long time coming. I'm I'm glad we're finally here. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And I, I think since we originally planned this interview, um, I had even a- appeared on your show at once, at least. Was it twice? I don't even know. <laughs> it's been absolutely. a while now. It, it, it was once, <laughs> yeah. So I had you on and interviewed you about your, your album. So it, it's good ah. to uh, repay the favor now, so to speak, finally. Well, th- yeah, I, I'm I'm really uh, eager to learn learn more about you and and what you do. You seem to be a very interesting person who who's involved in a lot of different projects. You're in Australia currently. Is that where you were born? Yeah, born in Melbourne. Uh, lived here pretty much all my life. I've traveled around. Uh, so been to quite a few other countries. Lived in the U.S. actually uh, from 2016 to 2018. In L.A., am I remembering that? Correctly? No, no, in, in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I chose Minneapolis because I have friends there, and there's a really thriving music scene there. I mean, anywhere that um, during winter still gets people, and M- M- Minneapolis winters are cold, and anywhere that has people still going to gigs in that kind of temperature is where I want to be. It reminds me of Melbourne here in Australia because we get four seasons in one day. And we still go out to gigs. So, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. Unfortunately, it was during a time when elections were on and some kind of crazy stuff at that period of America's history. So it was an interesting time to be there, but I loved it. And I'll be honest, I want to spend the rest of my days in America. I would love to die there. <laughs> well, how did you get started in music? Um, it was always played around the house. Um, my mum played a lot of music. I was always a, uh, creator. I, I, I wanted to do acting. I was always into performing. I was a bit of a show off kind of thing. Um, and I was always singing, uh, from an early age, but I never really found a, a particular style of music that, um, reached out to me until I reached my early teenage years. And I found heavy metal and heavy metal just, uh, it was something that pulled me in because I felt like an outcast. Yeah. So I started growling and doing all that heavy kind of stuff. That's what led me to somebody saying once, you know, you should stop that growling and try singing. And, uh, who knew I actually had a voice under there. So, and then it got to the point where I was like, you know what? I can growl pretty good too. And I can uh, now sing pretty good. Let's combine the two. And so I think it began 
from heavy metal was the catalyst to get me into exploring many styles of music from jazz and fusion and pop, funk, metal. And, and then I was just always loved stuff that's super eclectic and unique and has stands out from the rest of the crowd. Anything that's generic always bored me. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about music, really, that you can express yourself in so many different ways and so many different styles and sometimes in one song. Who were the first metal bands that you were into? Uh, <laughs> it started off pretty weak, um, a bit embarrassed. So stuff like uh, Twisted Sister and, and Kiss okay. and that kind of stuff. But very quickly, I moved on to Iron Maiden, Metallica, Slayer, and it was a very fast progression to the real death stuff. I found not only within the metal community um, lo the love of music, but I found a, a connection to people. There's a really amazing, I think metalheads during that period of time too, got slapped with a lot of negative press. I think back then we mm -hmm. had the PMRC over there in the US and they were banning albums and saying that it was the devil's music and Tipper Gore and all that stuff. But I don't think they understood that metal has its tongue firmly placed in its cheek uh, and it's much like a Stephen King book or a horror film. There's there's extremities of it, but the community and the people around it are very loving and support each other. It's, it, I think it sums it up best that when you go to a metal gig and somebody jumps off the stage, somebody always catches you. And if you fall, there's always like 10 hands that come down to pick you up. But if you went to, say, a, a uh, pop gig and they tried to jump off the stage, trust me, those hands aren't there to pick you up. So it was more the, the it was the community and the music uh, that really connected with me because I was a black sheep. I was somebody who was actually living a secret life of being transgender, and metal was a great place to put on an armor around myself, leather jackets, and long hair, and I could have my hair long. And at the same time, nobody questioned my gender, and even though it was still a secret, but I felt. Like I, I, I felt like I, f I fit in somewhere. So metal music was so much more than just the music. It was, it was a, a lifestyle and it still is for so many metalheads. But we were tarnished with this, you're all Satanists, you're all evil, you're all chopping up bodies and all this stuff. It's like, it's ridiculous. I remember one band, I'll just say Carcass, this band, they sing about gore and digging up corpses and all this horrible stuff. And they're actually vegans <laughs> and before <laughs> veganism was a thing, you know, and they're all medical students. Uh, just, it always baffled me the, if they only knew what these people were like behind the metal, they're all beautiful souls. Yeah. Well, it's like, I don't know, the people that really bought into that, into the satanic panic, what would they go to a zombie movie and think the world is ending? You know, like, I mean... I don't understand how you can't see the the line between uh, reality and fiction or reality and theatrics. Well, I don't know. They were trying to stop horror. They always have been trying to stop horror films as well. Like this is nothing new, you know, <clears throat> it's, uh, from music. I think it was music that just got hit for that period. But And then they moved on to video games. Uh, video games copped the whole lot with Grand Theft Auto and all these things being banned. But it was horror films before that. It, it's, it's that scary. That sliding goalpost that continues to be moved for, I don't know what end game. I've never understood the end game of it. To take away enjoyment, that seems to be the only end game. To take away things that uh, people take pleasure from and don't harm others from. 
seems to be the people who uh, organize those drives don't have pleasurable lives themselves. Seem quite miserable. <laughs> yeah, direct uh, their energies towards uh, negativity. Uh, yeah, con that controlling that what other people do. Yeah, it's that homophobia thing, you know. Uh, I hate gay people because secretly I am one. You know, I hate people having <laughs> I hate people having fun because secretly I want to have fun doing that as well. Right. I think that that's a thing a lot of people do, and it's not explored enough within our society. You got into metal through some more mainstream, your kisses and your uh, with twisted sisters, and then you moved on to Pantera. Would that be the the screaming groups then? Yeah, I went from, so it was a pretty um, standard progression that most metalheads go through if they, they start listening to the death metal and the grindcore. It's Iron Maiden, Metallica, Slayer, and then you get into the Panteras and then you get into the, all the full yeah. on heavy stuff where you can't understand it. And yeah, and, and, and metal's an interesting thing too, because like anything, like disco, it works in 20 year cycles. I remember going through that progression and then at 20 years on listening to that music all of a sudden there were metal bands black metal bands singing about you know satanic stuff but they had accordions and violins and and it was starting to get a bit spinal tap almost <laughs> and, and it goes full circle uh, disco is the same thing disco comes back every 20 years you know and metal's the same like all things things just come back around no, there's nothing new in the world you know if you can think it it's been done uh, so I think most metalheads go through that progression of getting more extreme and getting more extreme till you hit a wall and then you just love all of it. People often confuse me with just being a metalhead. I, I get it a lot. People just think, oh, you're a metalhead. And it's, no matter how much I sing contemporary or pop or jazz or whatever, they still go back to that. I think, I think that goes back to this perception that metal is something that people don't understand. Maybe it comes from the growling in the lyrics because they don't understand it. They don't want to understand it. Um, but, you know, metal helped me get into lots of other music. And because, as I said, it does hit a wall. Everything gets so extreme that you go, hang on, where do we go next? So you start looking to other styles for influence. And that's when the metal gets really incredible because you're taking, borrowing from all these different styles and you're creating new genres within there. So... I think metal's been really good for that. Metal's been a catalyst, like bands like Faith No More, who introduced funk and metal. And there's been a lot of bands who've done that throughout the last 30 years that came from metal that have t borrowed from so many different stuff, like Baroque music and all that, classical to hip hop and rap. And it's been probably the only style in the last 40 years, I would say, that truly has evolved and, and continues to evolve, where everything else just kind of stays the same or goes backwards. There really are a lot of uh, metal subgenres. Yeah, there's there's a correspondent um, for song surfing now, Zach, who um, he's got pretty wide reaching tastes, but one of his big loves is metal, and he picked out a, a bunch of metal tunes for us to feature on upcoming episodes. And it's every one every one of them is completely different, and some are influenced by video game music. One of them sounds. Um, I don't know, sort of like if Black Sabbath existed in the 1600s. You know, it's just, they really, uh, <laughs> even though you can hear the common thread, you know, the the metal in this metal music, like it, re yeah. it really is amazing how much variety there is. And what you'll find with metal heads, uh, I'm surprised we still use that term. It sounds so hokey now in 2021. 
the, the thing you find, even though there's so many sh- subgenres, the majority of metalheads just say, I'm into metal. Because that's that's the one simple defining umbrella that just works. And you don't need to define if it's grindcore or death metal or this. Or, you don't need to. That's the thing about metal is that it, it, it contains, I think, when I first got into heavy metal, it was very political. It was very honest. Um, it was kind of like punk. Punk was the same thing. Punk was so political and in your face and stabbed you in, with a fork in the neck. It was, it was trying to make change. It, it was there for a reason. It was trying to draw attention to things. And it was about being extreme to get eyes on you, to make change. And you don't have to be extreme all the time to write music like that. John Lennon is a perfect example of, of not having to do that. Although he did take a lot of drugs for a period of time to write some amazing music. But yeah, metal, metal has always had an important message behind it. And I think it's to do with the drums being so fast and powerful and the guitars always being really distorted and angry. And sometimes you've just got to drive that nail home to get people to pay attention to what's happening around you and and the first song i wrote in my first metal band was about the environment about ozone i think it was called ozone death and here we are in 2021 and we're still talking about like global warming and all this stuff and yet metal bands were the first ones going hang on we should pay attention to this this is some pretty bad stuff but clearly i want to hear ozone death no you don't no you trust me you don't i don't want to hear ozone death all right, so you got into into metal. You started to you found out you could sing. When did guitar come into this? Um, yeah, it was about the same time I, I heard I started getting into like this twisted sister stuff. So I was about thirteen years old. I had a friend who had a guitar. I got one really cheap. I didn't have any lessons. I just used to run around the backyard to Metallica, jumping around with no lead plugged in, trying to get the rhythm of my hand down. This whole because the the important the the first part of metal is the rhythm of the, the, the galloping and all that stuff. So That's I spent hard. the first, yeah, yeah. And I first spent the first six months without even plugging the thing in, just running around the backyard, just doing, getting this hand going. And then started plugging it in and going, all right, cool. Bar chords. That's where we start. And I tried to take lessons. The discipline was not there. Um, because I wanted to do it my way, like everything, I want to do it my way. And yeah, so my first band, I was playing guitar and singing, and that's a hard thing to do. I much prefer being in bands and just singing without playing guitar. I'm not really a, a good guitarist. I'm a rhythm guitarist. I can't do a solo for crap, but uh, I can write some pretty catchy riffs, and that's all I need. Then I picked up an acoustic later on down the years and um, really love playing acoustic. But yeah, and from there... Since guitar, but vocals are my, my main thing. But since guitar, I've picked up so many things now. Keyboard, drums. I just love picking up things and learning them and making interesting sounds out of them. That's, uh, so I, I, you had your first band. And then when, when did you get into recording your own music? And was it recording in a studio, recording uh, at home? How did that look and how does that look now? Yeah, the first time I actually recorded was in a studio. Um, I think I was 16. I'm pretty sure it's 16, and it was at random, my first band, Ozone Death, all those things. We actually went into a real recording studio. We were jamming in jam rooms, and 
I think our first demo cost us like $350 recorded in a day, all playing live in an actual studio to tape. And it just, it, oh, it, it really drove my, my mind wild. I wanted, I knew that's what I wanted to do forever. I love being in the studio. Um, and from there on, I, I recorded lots in recording different kind of recording studios, high end ones, small ones. And just loved it. Loved the whole process of being in there and 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 um, watching my, my bandmates do their parts and seeing it all come together. It just it was so exciting to get to that finished product. And who knew um, all these years later that you could now do it at home on an iPad? Whoa, mind blown! <laughs> the world has changed. So is that what you do now? Absolutely, yeah. So from there, I, I think I got a, a my first recording thing was a Tascam four track tape recorder oh, yeah. uh, made lots of things with that then i eventually got a pentium 2 computer with like pro tools and logic back in the day 5.5 logic and cool edit all those cool things you could do back then and these days i do everything on an ipad pro uh, i moved completely to ios back in 2010 i made a decision when uh, so that when the ipad came out i made a i saw the ipad I got, got my first iPad and there was something about the iPad that just connected. I just finished an album um, with my band Dread Circus. Uh, I'd recorded it at home on a PC using uh, Logic. Uh, it was like a six-month process. And I got my first iPad and was like, I can see forward this is going to be the way forward. The, the the capabilities, the way this is going to grow. Because I remember when the first iPad came out, the reviews from like the pundits were like, oh, it's just a consumption device. It's just a big iPhone. It's ridiculous. Like who's, <laughs> people are just going to watch videos on it. And I was like very vocal online on Facebook and stuff saying, no, no, we're going to be holding these pieces of glasses, making things. If you If you can't see that, you're extremely blind. Like for the capabilities it had just with the first and second iPad, it was very clear this was going to move very quickly. And yeah, we're at a place now with iPad that is ridiculous. We have Cubase and, and you know, GarageBand and all these things, amazing apps and things that uh, use far less power, far less uh, energy, and you can carry it around with you. You can hook it up on a desk iOS is the way forward, and it's just going to get better and better. What do you use to record mostly? Is it GarageBand? I use a multitude of things. I try and use different things for different projects. Like I have like six different bands. I call them. I guess it, I call them projects. Actually, uh, the last project I did, I used uh, GarageBand on iOS. The project before that, I used Gadget Two from Korg. And uh, I think the project before that, I used Nano Studio 2. And even before that, last year, I did a Metheist uh, EP. I did that in a, a door called Aurea Pro, which is pretty much the equivalent of Pro Tools. The, 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 probably the closest you're going to get to Pro Tools on iOS. It's an incredible app. So I use what suits the, t the particular project that I'm doing at the time. Uh, because, because you have so much... So many options on iOS, you can cater a door to what you're particularly doing. Because the thing is with doors, I see a, it's like um, a brand uh, loyalty that you see online. People saying, I like Android, I like iPhone. And I often scratch my head why 
people are so loyal and fight over it. I understand loyalty to a brand. I don't understand fighting over the loyalty. Like, you like that, you're an idiot. And it's with doors as well, especially on iOS. There's no one door that does it all. Every door on iOS has its its positives, but they all have a drawback. So for certain projects, you might want to use something like Gadget because you've got more electronic stuff happening, where Aurea Pro is more based for like Pro Tools and, and recording actual band and drums and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I use a multitude of doors and a multitude of apps to get the sound I need for that particular project. Uh, that's interesting. When you first started with this, I thought that you meant that you use a different DAW for each project as sort of like a catalyst for the project, you know, to kind of force yourself into a different creative box. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to try this DAW now because I don't know how to do this and this. So those limitations are going to guide what I do. But And that, that's true as well. So I have okay. done that on I have done that on the show as well. Like the gadget one and the nano studio ones were oh, I haven't used these before. I'm going to do um I think it was like over 4 weeks I think. Uh so a show a week or something making it live on the show and 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 creating it. And then at the same time me learning a door and people learning about the door at the same time. But there is that element of I know I've I've seen enough of this door to know that for this particular project, I'm going to get the right sounds using it. but And it's also an opportunity to learn about this door and see if I can use it to make something. So it's a bit of both, you know? Yeah, I'm sure that stuff you learn on one carries over to the next. I took a, I use Logic primarily, but I took a Pro Tools class. Really, there were a lot of little tricks and just concepts and kind of a deeper understanding. I just gained about recording and just how everything works that applied to logic even though it wasn't the same software absolutely things carry over yeah all those little tips and tricks that you learn from pro tools carry over to GarageBand because you know that's that's the thing with a lot of these doors some of them don't do the things that you want them to do so you've got to find workarounds you've got to cheat the system Pete Johns does this with GarageBand on iOS all the time he creates music that you uh, methods of making music on GarageBand iOS that you shouldn't be able to do, but you have to hack the you have to hack the system sometimes. And you mentioned Logic. I'm super excited. I've got a Mac Mini here. I've only just got Logic about a month ago. I'm going to do a special of it on the show and try and create my next Dread Circus song on it and bounce stuff back from the iOS device to Logic and back and then work on it a bit on my bed, send it over to Logic because you can bounce it back. I'm super pumped because Logic is incredible well it better be i spent 320 bucks on it so <laughs> so you have a youtube show uh how to app can you tell us about it yeah sure it, it started off as a thing that uh so when the the uh, pandemic hit i am i have some pretty unique um health issues um so i have this uh blood condition called uh itp i'm not going to say the whole name of it there's too many letters in it Um, And it's depressing saying it, but what it is essentially, I can't clot blood. So I get continuous bleeds from my nose and mouth. And sometimes it even comes through the pores in my skin. And at that time of the pandemic, I was, I found I was staying in bed a lot and really unmotivated. And I was already a follower of Pete John's channel at Studio Live Today on YouTube and was a moderator and was contributing to that kind of circle of people creating stuff and, and helping out on Facebook groups with my my knowledge, I guess. 
And I just thought, you know what? This is the opportunity I have right now to actually start a YouTube channel and hopefully help people. But the prime primary decision to do it was more so just to get out of bed each day and yeah. not feel sorry about myself. And so I put a, uh, a post-it note up on the TV that I watch that's in front of my desk each day that just said, just get out of bed each day. And that was the drive for the channel. Um, and during the pandemic, uh, you know, uh, Australia was very good. They gave, they locked us down they, for forever, it seems. We were the longest lockdown country in the world. They gave us extra money. And I'm sure there were lots of people who got this extra money and just wasted it. I decided to build up a studio with it and try and create something that could hopefully help others. And yeah, it, it was, it's been a really hard slog. But yeah, what I do on the show each day is I... I cover apps, I cover uh, gear, I talk about creative ways to make music, I play people's music, I try and be a conduit for people to make video music and just make it funny. It's not, so it's not like a show, it's not like a um, tutorial show either. It's like a serial to me. Every day I get up and it follows on and there's jokes and it's, it's my character too. So if you're just coming to my channel to watch for like a tutorial, you're going to get pissed off because you're going to be like, <laughs> hang on a minute. There's too much, you're too much yammering and showing this stuff and jokes. And I'm not here for that. And I don't give it, you know, I don't give a hoot. That's what this is about. It's a thing for people to come together and feel like they're a part of something instead of just getting a review and a, a, a tutorial and going away. And it's, it's super hard work. Every day I'll do a show for an hour um, and it, it's grinding. I've been doing it for 16 months. It's actually probably like, 18 months, something like that. I've had ups and downs. It's a really hard slog. I'm just getting up to like 2000 subscribers. But the thing that makes it worth it each day is to see the amount of music that has come from the people who, who watch. It's amazing. And out of it, I've got to make music too by showing them how to do stuff. So I'm being more creative. It's a win-win. And yeah, it's it's um, changed my life. It's it's been a real lifesaver during these times. I think you're a real natural uh, performer and host and an awesome interviewer. Thank you, thank you so much. I have this motto: try everything at least three times, because the first time you'll do it wrong, the second time you'll do it with a bunch of people who are doing it wrong, and by the third time you'll at least have an idea of if you like it or not. Um, I think people give up on things far too easy. So like uh, during my life, I've tried to, if an opportunity comes, throw myself into it a hundred percent or 200% and just at least have knowledge to have an opinion on it. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so many people out there who, who say, who have an opinion on something, but they have never dipped their toe in it in the slightest. So if you, even if it's like far removed from anything you've ever done, just throw yourself into it. So like I've done journalism, I've written for like online magazines, I've written for paper magazines, played music, live gigs, comedy, I've done theater, everything that I've jumped out of planes, <laughs> you know, anything that comes along, I'm in. Cause I've even, I worked as a dominatrix in the sex industry at 42 Whoa. years old because I, I, I want to have an opinion. I, I want to understand what goes through people's minds. You know, I've studied psychology. All it, just, I think the world's an amazing place and there's so many 
things you can take to draw on to hopefully become a better person. And my interviewing has come from all of that. And I think one of the greatest skills I got for interviewing uh, was being a uh, volunteer for people living with HIV AIDS and, and having HIV dementia for nine years where they would match you up with somebody who never met them before and you just became their friend. It was for this place called Ankali, which is Aboriginal for friend. And once a week you meet up with this person and just let them talk. And it was really amazing at not only knowing that, I mean, because there were some instances where I held certain people's hands as they died with no one else around them. So that's incredibly impactful. But to know that you've given somebody friendship and a good test on yourself to actually sit back and not feel like you have to fill the air with your conversation all the time and let the conversation breathe and let people have their say and not be thinking in your head. Because, you know, people do this. Living in Sydney, I used to see it all the time. You'd be out at a club and somebody's talking to another person and you can see the person listening is already clocking through their brain their next story and they're not actually paying attention. So... <laughs> I think it, it being an, a volunteer for so long taught me to understand open questions and letting conversations breathe and letting people, if you're doing an interview, let people be themselves and express who they are and sit back and guide it from what they say. You know, that's the most important thing. I think a lot of people with interviews worry about set questions and things like that, where the answers that people are giving you, they are providing you the next step that you need to take. And if they give you a thread that may be a bit taboo or, you know, if they've given you that thread, it's there to pull. Let people hang themselves is how, you know, they they give you that thread, you pull it because they've given you permission. That's verbal permission. And I love doing the interviews. It's so much fun. And I just love seeing people get that story out. It's beautiful. And uh, I, I just love knowing that the, the interviews that I try to do, by the end of it, the person who I'm interviewing has to be in a better place than when we started. That's all I care about. So psychiatry and working as a dominatrix. Yeah. There's some things in common with those two. Very much so. Sex work and psychiatry are the exact same thing. Um, you, in fact, the, at least the sex work um, is far more fascinating than just sitting in a chair and listening to people's crap. And, and I think, you know, this is an interesting thing. I think sex work, uh, the BDSM, all that kind of stuff. I think you get far more results from doing that kind of work than actual psychiatry. I think the psychiatry thing is a, a rort. It's a way to draw people out uh, of their money and drag it out as much as possible where within a, a couple of sessions, you should be able to really get, because it's not about you solving people's problems. It's about you getting people to trust you enough to open up about what's going on so that they actually hear themselves saying it and they identify it themselves. That's what the psychiatry is about to me. And that's why I don't practice it because I feel it's a rort and I feel that they moved into an industry of drugs and just medicating people, putting people in clouds and instead of letting them express themselves to the point that they start hearing what they're saying. And it's with sex work, there is a lot of that. You, there's more sex work that goes on where there's no sex than you would believe. I, I used to I've have heard cl- that before. Yeah. yeah, I used to have clients, one in particular, 
actually a few that did this, who realized after their first session and nothing happened because they were so scared that I liked WWE wrestling. And so did they. And my association with them became every second Monday night, they came and paid me $1,000 to sit in my apartment and watch wrestling with me in lingerie. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And, and that's all it needed to be, you know, because a lot of the time with sex work, it's not actually the sex that's the, the thing. It's, there's something else. There's some other desire that the people are, it's like the, the BDSM and the dominatrix stuff. A lot of the people who come to you pay you hundreds of dollars to do things with bodily fluids on them that you wouldn't do to anybody. And they pay you a lot of money for it. And they come from pro- professions of like court, you know, high court judges and, and prosecutors and, and surgeons and all these really high paying jobs where they have power and then they come to you and they let you crap all over them. Uh, it's quite a bizarre world that we live in that there is this undercurrent of it happening. But, and sometimes people will do the, want you to do the most extreme things to them. And again, sometimes people just want to come around. And the, I had one, I'll tell you one last story. I had one client who was married and his whole issue that he had with his wife was she always made him take his shoes off in the house his whole marriage 40 years married to this woman and him coming to me as a sex worker all he wanted to do was come around to my house watch television on a thursday evening once a month and leave his shoes on <laughs> yeah you did a you did a great service though given the, re- the release that he couldn't normally get yeah, and I didn't have to do anything sexual, so that was a good thing. <laughs> so the music that you picked for this episode, I was um, I was impressed by the variety, I guess. There are some more, uh, I guess, dramatic and experimental and maybe some heavier moments, but then there's also some really gentle and delicate moments. How did you go about choosing all this stuff? Um, so all of the artists that I chose, uh, artists that I've met through my YouTube channel and the music community through iOS. Um, and as I said, I love eclectic stuff. I love character driven music. I love things that are unique and stand out. You know, you think about bands like Radiohead and there there's uh, Bjork, these kind of artists have always st- stood out to me. Somebody who walks that line and and um, and does it really well, the, so that nobody else sounds like them. And these particular three artists, Josephine Yale and Thomas Galane, all do that, and they're all very different, all from different countries as well, and very unique styles. And the the main thing is, nobody sounds like them. I, I can. Every time I hear them, I know it's them. I really, I, I really appreciate that kind of artist. And it's not that I think that they're intention, intentionally doing that. You know, you can tell when somebody's intentionally trying to be outside of the norm compared to somebody who's just naturally unique and has something. And these three artists who I've interviewed all on my show as well, because they're incredible. And, and every time I, I've heard their music, I've thought, wow, that sounds like nobody else. I love them for that. So the first one we're going to listen to is by Josephine DeSmet, a singer-songwriter who describes her style as dark pop. 
usually containing synths and layered vocals. Her voice has an operatic timbre to it, and the singer writes about taboo subjects such as addiction, bullying, depression, suicide, making herself vulnerable to make others feel seen. I love that. Yeah, Josephine is one of the single most unique artists I've ever had the pleasure of coming across, not only in her quirky her quirky ways, just who she is, but yeah, her, her music is utterly moving. And the first time I, I, I heard her music, it was, I think, this particular song, which is about abuse, and wow, the video clip has her pretty much looking like she's been abused and punched, and, and she's crying through it, and it, it's wow it just left me like my guts on the floor it it made me feel something and that's what i love about josephine she always makes me feel something all right excellent so this is going to be josephine Desmet with last i see to get our block of music started Just a little mistake that I can't erase I was forsaken, left and read Not an open book, boy I got you hooked At the taste of the tip of my misery Get me concealed and I promise I'll make up For all the times that you chain me down Have a good life at me and I promise you It's the last one that you'll experience Hey friends, John here. Is one of your New Year's resolutions to start a podcast? Well, you should. I can tell you it's fun. It's really rewarding. I can also tell you, though, that even a seemingly simple podcast can have so much behind the scenes that goes into it. 
But thankfully, there's Captivate, a podcast hosting platform that makes it easy to manage and monetize your podcast. With Captivate, you can create and distribute unlimited podcasts, get advanced analytics, monetize and promote in one simple, easy to use dashboard. Song surfing is hosted through Captivate. And what does that mean? So after I script and record an episode, I upload it to Captivate and they shoot the episode out along with the accompanying show notes and artwork to a ton of podcast players like Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Geosavin, Podchaser, Stitcher. All of the episodes are saved on the Captivate server too, so I don't have to worry about having a separate hosting site or creating RSS feeds, anything like that. They also provide multiple ways to share the episodes, so I haven't needed to futz around with creating smart links, and their player app for WordPress was super simple to add to songsurfingpodcast.com, and it works great. Other perks include a free website, a dynamic ads platform, and incredible customer service, like seriously incredible customer service. I think that last piece alone makes Captivate stand out from the rest. Try it out for yourself because they're running a special seven-day free trial. And be sure to click the referral link that's in the show notes. Okay, back to the music. See me, my 
on a breezy evening you beckon me in need of saving you don't know how to dance and you'd like to learn from me I'll show you the ropes Just follow my footsteps You'll be fine, I swear I just hope that your spine Can bend like mine Like mine And it goes like da-dee-da Your beauty calls 
Hey, song surfers, we're back. First in the block, we heard Josephine DeSmet with the song Last I See. Second was I Breathe You by Yale Aiden. Yale Aiden is a singer, songwriter, and music producer born in Jerusalem. In her performance, Yale builds up melodic, rhythmic, and repetitive structures using her voice, synth, loops, and beats into minimalist electronic music with broad influences. I came across Yale in uh, on one of the Facebook groups, perhaps Garage Band Users Group, and yeah, uh, she was doing live streams on Facebook as well, and yeah, so she uses a lot of looping and very, uh, not simplistic, but very um, minimalistic uh, keyboard sounds, and um, I just, I fell in love with her voice and the way she was so relaxed about the way she puts together music live. Um, and yeah, so it, it was these live performance that really caught me. Plus she, she really inspired me too, because she's, she's in Israel and she's, she's absolutely beautiful to look at as well. And just, I, I really loved the hard hitting approach to her music as well too, because, you know, uh, she lives in a country where you know, th- things aren't always as, uh, easy to be able to say in, in uh, countries like that. So I, I really respected her, her balls, so to say, for, for the way she, she uh, allows herself to, to be so strong as a, as a strong female. I do love strong female artists who, who really push hard. I, then I, I jumped over to iTunes and found all the other stuff and was just like, wow, totally blown away and just compelled to listen to it. Her music became my go-to-sleep music for many, many months, and it would just be on loop all through my sleep. And I swear, when I would wake up each day during that period of time, I always felt great. Wow. Here's what uh, Yale said about the song. During my live shows, I'm exposing my emotional world to my audience. I'm letting them in. That's what this song is about. Only after I published the song did I realize that people interpreted it as a romantic love song. So I guess it is a love song in a way, a love song to my audience. It's so cool to me that the meaning of a song can change uh, and what a song is transforms once it passes on to the audience. Yeah, and I think it's more common than the music listening populace of this planet understand. I would think throughout history of, of music from some of the greats and some of the unknowns, music does get interpreted completely different than what the song was actually written for. And unless you really, you write something that is very, very specific and there's, there's no way you can, you know, cause you can write lyrics that are like that, or you can be more, more uh, vague about what you're writing about. But yeah, some of the biggest bands in the world have had their songs misunderstood for the longest time. I mean, it's, it's really interesting about being a songwriter you often write songs for yourself to help yourself heal. Sometimes you write songs for causes or just just to get feelings out about how you feel about something. And a lot of the time when you release those songs, you don't have the rights to them anymore because it's like medicine in a way. You've used it to do your healing and help you get to the point you needed to And you must understand that once you release them out to the world digitally or on vinyl or however you release them, they're not your property anymore. So they're, they're open to discussion, to criticism, to examination. 
and they become special to people for many reasons that you will never fathom and don't want to fathom sometimes. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting thing to be able to release music and then say, cool, draw a line in the sand. I think you need to draw a line in the sand when you release music and say, cool, I'm done with that. Because if you chase people down to find out, what did you think? What meaning did you, did you get from it? You'll bog yourself down with like, but that's not what I was saying. People aren't understanding me. What? And you can actually lead yourself into anxiety <laughs> because you think you're being misunderstood. So um, I, I really love that about her music, that there is a bit of ambiguity to her music. You're not always sure, but uh, that's why I did an interview with her, because I wanted people to understand where she's from, what she's going through. And then you start to piece together, actually, wow, th there's a lot of internal stuff that is coming out. And it doesn't matter if you don't get that. All that matters is that you enjoy it and it makes you happy. Yeah, I feel like I should have something profound to say. But... <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, really well said. There's nothing profound I'll be, left. <laughs> I'll be editing that part out. It's the beauty of podcasting, right? <laughs> Third in the block was Waltz of the Madman by composer Thomas Ghislaine. Did I say that right? You did, Thomas Ghislaine. Before the show, uh, before we started recording, I, I, I went over how to pronounce everybody's name and I um, triumphantly mispronounced all of them. <laughs> so I, I made notes for myself and now I'm still second guessing myself. But it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a quality in you, John, that you actually care enough to find out because not, uh, there are people out there who do these things and don't care enough to find out and then just fob it off as like, Oh, this is the person's name. Sorry, I've butchered your name there. And it's like, I mean, all you had to do was just work out. So I, I really respect that you asked to find out because it is important. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thomas Ghislaine is a composer based in St. Nicholas, Belgium, who got into making music during COVID-19, during the COVID-19 lockdowns, who explores abstract ideas and fictional stories through heavy orchestral explosions. And Thomas uh, left a note about the song. This track tells the story of being invited to a dance. However, you get way more than you bargained for. Can you survive a dance that isn't suited for mortals? Yeah, this song is awesome. Uh, and I, I just love the way it transforms. You know, it starts off as one thing, and then it sounds like uh, the pits of hell are opening up about halfway through. Yeah, Thomas is possibly one of the most thought-provoking introspective, intelligent, and very careful people I've met and a beautiful, kind soul. Uh, I think that's, that's the thing that first drew me towards Thomas and his music, just how kind and gentle he is as a human being. What he does uh, is, is create these moments with his music, these I don't know. They're, they're, it's like it's an orchestral movement. It's like a, a film score and it's incredibly deep and there's a whole lot of, uh, the, and that's just the, the lyrics and, and the vocal performance. His vocal is this beautiful, rich, deep um, sound that just, just pulls you right in and you want to hear what the story he's telling and what he does musically, sonically, is is really impressive. I know his influence as an artist like um, Radiohead and, and, and such, um, where he layers all these sounds to 
sometimes create these these symphonies, these walls of noises that take you to this place. And Waltz of the Madman does that incredibly. It starts off very vocally driven, and by the end, it's just this wall of of hell and distorted vocals. And he takes you on these journeys that are utterly beautiful. And when we when we became friends, he uh, Thomas reached out to me and sent me a link to this artist called the Caretaker. And what it is is this. Uh, it's a collection of six EPs all put together and it goes for six hours and it's a, wow. a sonic representation of a person going through dementia. And it starts off with this really old time kind of thirties music playing and it's really delightful and there's no lyrics or anything, just this music. And as it, uh, the next album starts it starts getting these artifacts in it like these tape warbles and um, white noise and then the next one it, it it gets really warbled and by the end the last help it's so horrible all right see how what it does to me it's so horrible it is just white noise and you can hear this distance of the original music warbling away so far away and the artwork on each album is so amazing. It starts off, the first one has this beautiful um, sculptor on it. Uh, and as it goes further, the the art on each cover gets more bare. And the final one is just this frame with nothing in it. Wow. And yeah, Thomas put me onto that. And forever and a day, when I think of Thomas Ghislaine, I think of that. And that's what he does on you know, nowhere near the same, uh, but on the same level of care and beauty that he puts into his music, that there's there's that you take something away from it that uh, uh, will change you. And I love that kind of music. That's what I love about Thomas Ghislaine. And he he dropped an album this year, which I I got to master, which uh, a lot of the songs on it. And every time I listen to it. I walk away just feeling so moved and inspired. He's a beautiful human being and a beautiful artist and listen to all his music. And I just hope he keeps making music because he's amazing. Yeah. You know, I listened to that, that album. I didn't realize that you mastered it. Derek Smith uh, bought me a copy of it. And yeah, uh, I, yeah mastered, it's great. I mastered three quarters of it. So okay. I think he, I think there are some remastered tracks on it, which he mastered himself. But all the uh, I mastered most of it, so I've mastered so many albums lately. It's I'm forgetting how many I have because I do it on my Patreon every weekend. I master people's songs. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, well, you know, people have Patreons these days, and it's kind of like I, I look at people's Patreons and see the same content as their YouTube channels, and I I wanted to do something a little bit different, so. I'm, uh, I've got tiers and I make it like a dollar basic tier and you can join my stream, two hour stream each Sunday here in Australia, Saturday for the rest of the world. Um, and you send me your songs and I'll master them live on the show. And so you're getting to see how the process works. Plus you're getting something, I guess, pro mastered. I'll, 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 say, I'll take it for now. And yeah, <laughs> the other the other tiers for my Patreon, uh, five, 10, kind of 25, it's up to you if you want to offer more and with those tiers i do app giveaways so you get the chance to go on my spinning wheel which is a bit of fun and you might win some apps but i keep it low at a dollar 
and I'm ripping myself off. But at the same time, I look at it as I'm building a catalog of artists that eventually I can market my mastering services and say, look at all these amazing independent artists that I've mastered through my Patreon. Right. I've got better. They've got better. And then eventually I can make a business out of that as well. So everybody kind of wins from it. And, and, you know, as I said earlier, I love being able to help artists get to the next level, just even if it's a little bit, just to feel confident to get to the next place. And, and I think it's a, a unique way to do Patreon. I think you get a lot more from it. And I already have like 52 people and every weekend they, they're all there and we have a laugh and it's not live on face on YouTube. So I get to swear and be an idiot and have fun. <laughs> so you're not allowed to swear on YouTube? Well, I do swear a lot. If you watch my show, I do swear a lot anyway, but I get to say stuff that I wouldn't say on YouTube and, and not get judged or canceled <laughs> because there's that. I see. So we live in that world at the moment, you know, raw and uncensored. Absolutely. And that's when I'm at my best. So let's talk about your different projects. So we, we talked about how to app. You just told us about your Patreon. What are your different musical projects? Uh, Dread Circus is my main project. It's like my acoustic rock. Uh, it's, it's the stuff where I write what's going on. The real stuff. There's, I write all the hard hitting stuff in there. The, the, yeah, it's it's uh, the stuff I write about being trans, about the world around us. It's it's the stuff I care about the most. It's it's me. Dread used to be my last name before I transitioned and changed my name. So okay. I kept the name Dread Circus to remember that name. And my world's a circus, so it makes sense. Uh, but that's that's the main uh, vehicle for music. Uh, then I have all these other little projects. So utensils, which is spelled U-10 cells. Um, oh my gosh. I never realized that. <laughs> I read it so yeah, many no, times. <laughs> never made that lots connection. Lots of people don't. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it started quite a few years ago where I would take kitchen utensils and, and pots and pans and, and anything, digital things, and just create noise and you know do really off the wall stuff um so that's where the name utensils came from just using utensils um it's had various stages through its existence we used to we used to do these cool things where we had a list of like 50 people and we'd hire out a hall and then just call drop a pen on the names and call random people to come to this hall and then we just set up recording uh, little desks everywhere to record the whole hall and me and my partner would stand up the front writing things on a whiteboard and giving people colored armbands and saying all the people's black armbands have to play music right now all together and just create these walls of noise and and write moods on the board we've done so many weird things we've done gigs where we there's just two of us we wore balaclavas and we took the crowd hostage and locked all the doors in the venue and had oh people with guns come through the venue and you can't do that these days. Yeah. <laughs> that would it'd be a different, we're in a different world now. Um, so there's utensils um, and, and every album from utensils is utterly different from the last one. Always different. Then FMC, which is my comedy death metal thing where um, I write lyrics about having sex with seagulls, having wanks, not sandwiches. It's just meant to be as puerile and silly as possible to prove that you know, metal has its tongue firmly in its cheek, 
and and you know all the names of the there's been band members in FMC over the years. We've toured around Australia and done all these crazy things, and now it's just me. So there's that. There's Metheist, which is just me again, which is a kind of like a uh, Black Sabbathy kind of metal thing with a bit of Slayer in there, where all the the characters are me, and in the video clips I have different characters with different masks. And make it look like there's a whole band. Oh, and the newest one is Kindercore, which um, was a project I did in uh, Gadget 2. Kindercore? And it's an electronic thing where I kind of write about uh, social issues. Like the, the first single that I dropped is about um, the, human, the human trafficking trade. Okay. Very hardcore stuff. Um, it's my avenue to write about that kind of stuff just to shine the light on darkness in the world because things like that are going on and and these are not conspiracy theories i don't write about conspiracy theories but you know there's there's evil in the world and i think sometimes you need to shine the light on those things so so they're all my projects and the last thing i do is gladys worthington who is a drag act like an old lady who and i do covers of like killing in the name of as an old lady um (laughs) Wow, I haven't uh, heard of that. I caught these last couple ones I wasn't aware of. Yeah, I, I've got a Christmas spectacular coming up on my channel. So Christmas Eve for the rest of the world. It's the Gladys Worthington Christmas Spectacular. And I'll be doing a whole bunch of Christmas songs and some of my covers. Like I, I do Killing in the Name of, but I call it Knitting in the Name of. And um, I Will Survive is like about having a colostomy bag. It's quite childish, quite puerile, but it's it's funny. And I do prank phone calls as her live on the shows. And, and who knows, by next year, I may have another few projects. I just love creating new projects and new things and keeping my mind active. I think all artists should do that too. Yeah. Don't just stick to one thing. Create, create, do different ideas and, and explore them. And you build up a unique set of fans from... That will all come together for maybe your main project, perhaps. Who knows? I, I, I'm kind of uh, stuck on this uh, knitting in the name of, right? Is <laughs> is Knit, that knitting um, in the name of? Yeah, there you go. Is that uh, so? Rage Against the Machine, right? So, yeah. killing in the name of. Oh, I'm thinking of Bulls on Parade, where he goes, "Quit it now," because I'm. I was. I was hearing like, "Let's knit it now," or I can't do the uh, Zach De La Roche voice. <laughs> I do um I do Madonna so instead of um erotic I do uh <laughs> God, what is it called so, uh, sciatica instead of erotica oh, no. <laughs> um uh uh what's it the other one uh blisters uh, I can't think of what it's called oh, uh careless whisper is endless blisters and it's about the blisters on my feet <laughs> um <laughs> it's it's that's, quite infantile it's a whole world you've created yeah, I, I, I'm trying to create the Marvel universe for idiocy. <laughs> Where you play every character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it guarantees I'm never going to have schizophrenia because at least I'm getting it all out. Yeah, there you and go. Living out, living out these characters instead of hurting myself. You have a lot of musical projects. Uh, Dread Circus is your main one. How do you go about writing songs for, for Dread Circus or... Or is it common from project to project, or is it each its own completely different thing? What's your process? There is no process. I never try and push things. Things have to evolve. If songwriting's not working, I go do other things. I'm a firm believer in if you're trying to force things to happen, 
walk away, go do something else. It's like that theory of video games. I'm a massive video game head, played video games since I was a child and tape traded Commodore 64 games and all this jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, You get stuck on a level in a video game and I would see people, and I was guilty of it when I was young, get so angry and throw the controller and be so mad. And every single time, if you just turned off the console and went and did something else and came back a few hours later or the day after, first go, you'll get past that level. Because you build up this frustration and anger that you're, you're actually working against yourself. And it's the same with creativity. If it's, you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it and you won't feel it. So go feel something else and, and maybe that'll inspire you to, or relax you. It's like they say about cigarettes. You know, people say, I smoke cigarettes because they relax me. And if you wire somebody up to a machine, you'll actually find it doesn't. It, it, it actually makes you more jittery. So with music, the more you try and force something out, the more pressure you're putting on yourself and your body is reacting terribly to it. It definitely is a singer. I think people forget as singers that um, you're the instrument. You're, the, you're, you're a living instrument. You, it's, you're not like a guitar. If it sounds shit, you just go and put new strings on. If you sound crap singing, it's because of uh, it could be a multitude of things. You're pushing yourself too hard. You've got stress going on in your life. You're not sleeping enough. You're eating crap. It's a multitude of things. You have to like uh, care and, and identify these things instead of getting angry and going, why can't I do it? So walking away and breathing and doing something else enables you to reflect on that there isn't another band that i'm a part of uh which is just about to drop an album uh of new year's day called desir d-i-s-i-r and i have been working on this for most of this year with a friend of mine in the uk named kev hart and it's a metal project it's very heavy it's super aggressive and he writes all the music and all in garage band on ios does the drums, guitars, bass, and it's so metal and so cool. It's like my, it's like the ultimate band I've ever wanted to be in, and I've been recording vocals for it for the last nine months. But due to my health, I've been unable to get it finished with the amount of passion that I've needed to put into it to get those growls out. Because every time I do these growls, I get a blood nose because of my health. So it's dragged the album out incredibly long but this ties into uh you know taking a step away and you know what it doesn't have to be released to a date that's the beauty of being a creator with your own studio you don't have to have it to this date it would be good if it was done four months ago but uh you know you can actually drag it out and 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 there's no time limit no one wait pressuring you to get it done how about advice for songwriting or for YouTubing or being creative. Look, I have, it sounds, it sounds like something from the WWE, but I do have catchphrases <laughs> that I say every day on my show. And it is, it's my main song of Dread Circus as well. It's the song everybody identifies with me called Do What Makes You Happy. And it's what I say at the end of each show as well. Do what makes you happy. That's the most important thing. We live in a world where, we do the things that make us unhappy to keep living and it's not healthy and it's incredibly possible for all of us to create 
the world around us, to create a world where we can thrive and make money, even if it's just enough to live by doing the things that make us happy. It's just like getting that promotion at that job that you hate, but putting in the effort into something that you love. And even when you struggle with the thing that you love doing, that's okay too. Just walk away and take a break. Uh, the other thing that I do try and promote with people is to openly make mistakes, like share the mistakes, uh, because it's the same with touched on psychology before that whole idea of you come to a psychologist seeking someone to give you a magic answer and there is no magic answer you've got the magic answer it's the job of the psychologist to pull out that what is your problem so you're able to hear it and I think making mistakes and being able to admit them and speak them and, and put them out into the world allows you to hear them and not uh, be surrounded by noise of other people always telling you what you're doing wrong because that doesn't help like when somebody says you're shit you're doing this wrong people take it on as criticism but for you to admit your mistakes and hear them enables you to not make them as often you still will but not as often and you'll be able to identify them so i think mistakes do make us better and i think talking about them is important just like i think talking about you know, mental health and well-being is important and, and not being afraid to say these things. What's a mistake you've made that you've learned from? <laughs> you got a day? <laughs> <laughs> I make mistakes every day and, I, and we all do. I made the mistake of living a life knowing I was transgender for 30 years, hiding it from people living in a world where I was sneaking around behind all of my friends' and family's backs, sneaking around, changing into clothes and, and, and hiding like in this identity that I felt I could never show anybody. And I waited 30 years of this misery, uh, being living in fear of what people would think. And eventually when I finally went, I can't do it anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my own life. I can't do it. And nobody's going to know why. I'm going to take my own life and nobody's going to understand. I have to just live it and be it and, and just explain it to people. And you know what? If, if I lose friends, they were never my friends. Yeah. And if I gain friends, they, they were my friends. And you know, when I came out, I thought it was going to be so scary for 30 years. And it was nothing. It was absolutely nothing. Sure, people who I didn't know pointed, stared, said all these horrible things, but I don't know them. They walk past. They're not in my life. What was important was the amount of people that I was blown away by that already went, really? That's the biggest thing you've been carrying around? We've seen you cut your arm open on stage with a knife. We've seen you do this. We've seen you do this. Like, it was such a small thing to these people because I'd been so outrageous with everything else. So I regret that, but you can't live your life in regret. You know, it was a mistake and you move on and realize I, I owned it and, and, uh, we're past it. And so being trans is amazing. I get to live an amazing life. I've got to live in two different genders and see world from an absolutely unique perspective that no, so many people will never understand. And, and I can sometimes see why men and women don't get along. <laughs> it's such an easy thing to fix, for God's sake. Just listen to each other. 
and I make mistakes every day, but I think owning up to them um, is, is the the best way to go. Being as truthful as possible and owning up to them because you're only lying to yourself if you don't. Thank you for sharing that, Jade. To close things out, we have one of your songs called It's Over. It's, it's This one's a unique one. I, I was going to send you Do What Makes You Happy because that is my song. Um, but I wanted to step outside of my comfort zone because I think it's healthy to step outside of your security blanket. This particular song uh, was part of a film um, oh. called uh, Night by Terror, a independent horror film made by some friends in Sydney. And it was written, <laughs> so I think it's 2015, my wife walked out on me. I just came home from work and she had her bags packed and said, I'm leaving. And she went and joined a cult, a Salvation Army cult. Um, she found the Lord Jesus Christ and they told her that she needs to uh, <laughs> divorce her trans uh, wife and go and join them. And so she went away and left and... I was heartbroken for a day, got completely off my face on a, one of her bottles of wine she left behind. Hmm. And funnily enough, the next day, one of my friends uh, uh, sent me, Lewis Rojas sent me an email saying, I've got this song. Uh, it's going to be a part of this movie that a mutual friend is making. And I thought you might like to sing vocals on it. And it's called It's Over. And the synchronicity was too much to let go because, hey, my wife just walked out on me. It is over. The, the, the film is a zombie film, so it's a schlock horror zombie film. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of drew the lyrics about her leaving, but at the same time uh, incorporated the line, goodbye zombie eyes, these kind of things in there, which kept it this horror section. And the interesting part about the middle of the song there's this whole section where I do this demonic screaming like a woman getting uh, raped or saying it's so brutal. And how I achieved that was it's a death metal growl. So one of these and a sucking in sound where I'm actually going. Wow. And then to do, to achieve the, um, the female screaming vocal, I went to a florist and bought a bunch of helium-filled balloons <laughs> and sucked the helium and then went, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> And so there's this whole moment in the middle of this song of utter terror, this massive scream that really just takes you out of the moment and, and just terrifies you. And yeah, it, it ended up being in this film. It ended up being scattered throughout the film and was the final track of the film. And it's going to be on my forthcoming album called... Uh, Nonconformist, which is hopefully due out next year. I won't sell the pandemic stuff's over. And yeah, uh, the guy who, who wrote the music, Lewis Rojas, kindly allowed me to use it on my album and gave it to me kind of thing. So yeah, it, it's got a, quite a few meanings to it and it's pretty impactful. So I love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll just say your singing sounds great on there and the screaming part really intense and kind of uh, heightens the whole experience of the, of the song. I didn't expect it. And, and I love it really fun. Listen. Awesome. Thank you. I, I love it too. I, I can't wait for it to be, re it's actually released now. I think it is on, on uh, iTunes and stuff, but it, it will be like the th fourth track on the 22 track album that is due out next year. 
Jade Star. Thank you for being on Song Surfing. I'm so glad that we had some time to talk. Thank you so much, John. Uh, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you. You know, I love your music as well. So thank you for coming on my show. And I'm just so glad we got here in the end because there's been a lot of back and forward and stuff, but we got here and, and I've, I've been so excited and I thank you very much for having me on. Awesome. See you, Jade. See you later. song surfers that music means it's time for me to say thanks for listening to another episode of song surfing and thanks to jade star for coming on this episode remember to visit the episodes and show notes page at songsurfingpodcast.com where you can find the links to jade's music as well as josephine's and yale's and thomas's lots of great stuff there that i hope you dive in on you can follow song surfing by searching Song Surfing Podcast on both Instagram and Facebook, 
or at Song Surfing Podcast takes you there as well. If you're a Spotify user, there's a Song Surfing Podcast Excellent Tunes playlist which a bunch of the so- with a bunch of the songs that are featured on the show. If the podcast player you're using gives you the option to rate and review, please do so. Five-star review would mean a whole lot. I'm looking for more reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts. So all you uh, iPhone listeners out there, please go over to that app. It should have come with your phone if you've never used it before. And uh, just search Song Surfing on there, and then the rate uh, option is right there. Five stars all the way, baby. Thanks to Josh Ween for letting me use his tune, Living in a Fishbowl, as the theme music for the show. You can find Josh's music on Bandcamp under the artist name Ween Solo, W-I-E-N-S-O-L-O. The outro music that you're hearing right now is Little Pills by Patrick Moonbird. It's available on all major streaming platforms. You can find the links for that in the show notes. See you next time.